Hello and welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast. My name is Ralph Cree. This is brought to you in association with bodyheartmindspirit.co.uk. Um, I must say I haven't, I haven't uh, updated that website for uh, three years, just so it's a little, bear in mind if you visit it, it's a little bit out of date. Uh, hopefully you'll find the time to do it up soon. Um, and uh, or if you're watching the video, uh, I'm not naked. I just have my shirt off because I'm in a very, very hot room. <laughs> um, so today I spoke to um, Brendan Dempsey about metamodern spirituality. Um, he is an author and uh, he runs a retreat centre in Vermont. And um, he has a Facebook group called Metamodern Spirituality. And uh, that was the topic of, of our conversation today. What is metamodern spirituality? Um, and obviously, uh, you know, you'll find out if you listen to the podcast, but to just give you the kind of um, general orientation of it, it's kind of what happens after New Age spirituality, you know, that was popular in the 80s and the 90s. And, um, you know, what's come, what's next? So, you know, some of the, it's, it's born a little bit out of the, the integral movement. Um, and we make uh, make some we, we point out some of the areas where we see this happening um, around the world. It's a kind of post-progressive spirituality um, and um, a kind of a new way of doing spiritual practice that is both um, rigorous, um, you know, conserving the the, the, the depth of um, the uh, traditions. Um, around the planet but also embracing the kind of progressive um, element and breaking new new ground and new territory um, and uh, providing a kind of contemporary spiritual path uh, that takes into account all of the things we now know as humans so um, I hope you enjoy this conversation Brendan Graham Dempsey, welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice podcast. Thank you. This is fun. I'm excited to uh, to be here. Are you are you normally known as the full Brendan Graham Dempsey, or are you Brendan Dempsey? I I really I'm Brendan Dempsey. Um, when I was starting to put stuff out into the inter internet ether, uh, I found that there was a, another Brendan Dempsey out there who's an Irish comic actor. So I thought, well, there's no competing with that. So I'll just throw the middle name in there to help uh, disambiguate us. Um, and so I'm Brendan Graham Dempsey. But um, yeah, well, you, you middle name not, optional. You're, you're an author and you, you also write under some pseudonyms as well. Correct. Yes, this is true. And this is something I, I'm not sure if everyone is privy to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I write under different pen names, uh, speaking through the voices of different characters who have their own sort of perspectives and and uh you know emphases and fields of of uh focus that sort of a thing um <clears throat> it's it's a very kind of kierkegaardian project um i was very inspired by kierkegaard in that regard <laughs> um he uh he had a what he called the authorship and uh, he had various pseudonyms um of people basically in different stages of life on different stages of the spiritual path and uh with different sort of takes on these ultimate uh questions uh and uh i 
resonated a lot with that. And I found it very compelling to explore spirituality through that multi-perspectival lens um, and leave that in some ways on the on the reader to form the relationship to and uh, and figure out. There are many other reasons uh, that I find pseudonymity to be uh, very important in, in kind of uh, exploring the metamodern sensibility. Um, I was very heartened when I found the work of uh, Hansi Freinacht, who is a similar uh, pseudonym or pseudonymous personality. And uh, for a long time, I wasn't sure if, if that whole approach would catch on, if people would, would you know, grok that. And uh, then, uh, you know, the Hansi works, uh, they seem to really resonate. And so I was excited by that. And so I'm, I've been doing something similar for a bit. So uh, yeah, I feel like there's something there in the metamodern sensibility. Uh, and I've even written a little bit about why I think that might be the case, but yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, excellent. That's an that's a unexpected large amount uh, in response to that question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, for those listening, um, I've got lots of house martins nesting in uh, mm. in the roof, so you might hear them. And uh, it's really hot in here. It's not the normal room I, I work in, so I'm just going to take my shirt off. <laughs> so excuse me for my half nudity. Okay. No worries. So we um, are going to be talking about metamodern spirituality, which is, um, mm. you know, we, we connected a little bit around this because you have a Facebook page called Metamodern Spirituality. Um, mm -hmm. And from uh, why I'm interested to explore this is it, it's, it's sort of it, the metamodern is, is part of this it's got lots of different names, but it's a kind of it's not new age spirituality. It's mm. um, it's something that's kind of come after new age spirituality. And mm. there's you know, we uh, we can you know, we might point to um, some of the other uh, examples of this out there that, that people can explore. And um, but we you know, one mm -hmm. one common term is that it's uh, post progressive. Um, mm -hmm spirituality but i mean but i think the easiest way to describe it in, in the way i see it is it's what comes after new age spirituality so it's, mm. it's it's distinct from new age spirituality um and i think it's uh it, it's it's something better than <laughs> new age spirituality um so that that's kind of you know my brief framing of it and um mm -hmm. so perhaps it might be a good place to to start with you know what's your definition of meta modern so for you know someone listening to this they've never heard of meta modern you know yeah. they they've kind of might have heard of new age spirituality dabbled in it got a bit dissatisfied mm -hmm. with it in the in the 1990s you know mm -hmm. that kind of era 1980s wanted something a bit more rigorous that is uh kind of progressive in the sense of it being um not necessarily strictly traditional but it also has the the rigor of uh, of deep practice, um, mm -hmm. so that you know that's, a lot of people might be coming from that kind of orientation. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I mean, given some of this multi-perspectival, uh, highly contextually aware uh, stuff we've been talking about, how I define metamodern or metamodernism might shift depending on who I'm talking to and what the sort of framing of the question is, and you know my perceived sense of the audience. So. Um, using the terms that, that you've set up, which I think are helpful, um, 
I would say that, yeah, you could think of it as a post new age uh, spiritual paradigm. Um, if you, I think it can be helpful to locate new age within a broader cultural paradigm, um, which a lot of people I think correctly associate new age with uh, postmodernism, um, which might sound surprising to some, depending on what your uh, working definition of postmodernism is. Um, in this sense, I'm just thinking of postmodernism as being a, a kind of cultural paradigm that's uh, very aware of uh, different worldviews, different cultures, and looking at all those cultures um, in sort of a, almost like a buffet of, you know, uh, in its radical form, it's sort of very relativistic. It's like, well, all these cultures exist and all these things are there for us to draw on. And, um, and there's sort of a radical individuality to it of just, well, I can, I can take a little bit of this from Taoism and I can take a little bit of this from, from Hinduism and I can kind of assemble all these things and I can have my crystals and my, my you know, ohm chants and I can do this thing that feels very spiritual by kind of picking and choosing from a lot of uh, spiritual traditions. Um, I think that that is a way of thinking that is very much in accord with a certain postmodern mindset. Um, and that can have a lot of benefits and it can also have uh, a lot some limitations to it for sure. Well, so, could, could you point out some of the benefits there and some of the limitations? Yeah, well, the benefits would be um, compared to, say, uh, engaging in a traditional religious practice where basically what the tradition says is what you have to embrace. Um, you're sort of, in a sense, stuck in a, in a tradition. Um, if you look you know, across the road and you see some Buddhist stuff, or if you're a Christian, you're sort of like, oh, that looks good, but I can't go over there because, you know, like I'm a Christian. And so that would be bad. Uh, kind of stay in your lane sort of a thing, because there's one truth. And presumably, hopefully the tradition that you're uh, practicing has that one truth. Um, so uh, by contrast with that, uh, the more postmodern approach is sort of, well, you know, it's not that simple. The truth is, is everyone has some truth and, uh, and, and we can draw up upon different traditions. And um, so it's, it's, it's freeing in that sense. And it allows people to, I think, get a broader perspective of spirituality um, because you're able to compare it to other traditions and, and spiritual lineages. Um, and so I think that that's, that's a big benefit is it's a, kind of opens up your horizons a bit. Um, at the same time, a limitation would be, you know, there, there are more or less effective, efficacious ways of doing that. Um, and so one of the common critiques of kind of new age spirituality is that it does tend toward this sort of consumeristic kind of ex exploitative, um, yeah, con consumer based religion, which is like, I'll just take whatever I want, regardless of whether or not these things actually coherently hold together, regardless of, you know, whether this is cultural appropriation, regardless of whatever. It's just sort of, I like this, I like that, and I'm the sole arbiter here of uh, what's true, and so I'll just do what I like. Um, and so that can lead to a form of, um, yeah, religious practice that can ultimately be rather shallow sometimes and a bit superficial. I think the um, the way people often describe it is is digging lots of shallow holes, but no mm, deep, no yeah. deep ones. Um, sure. And also, I think one thing I'd add is that it's kind of it's progressive um, without being conservative. And you know, it <clears> takes 
you know the benefit of of cons the conservative approach in conservation mm. is that it takes in this case millennia to form mm. the, the structures to naturally evolve um mm. you know that there are the traditions and you 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 know uh gk chesterton's fence thing that they call it chesterton's mm. fence you're driving along a road you find a fence going across a road and you're like, oh, what's this fence doing here? You know, do I remove it and just keep driving? But then mm. you don't know why it's there. You know, the example, mm. um, Brett Weinstein, uh, mm. in his book, which I think is a good one, 21st Century Guides, Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, that was it, mm. says that um, there was a time when surgeons uh, were sort of removing people's appendixes lots and then they were like well why do they even need their large intestine so you know we're just like whipping out people's large intestines just like which just seems this pointless organ but then yeah you know now we understand that you know it, it, yeah so beware chesterson's bowel um yeah and uh and the other thing i'd say so on the the, the first point about the benefits is that if you take somewhere like tibet has got an extremely rigorous and well-developed mm. um, mm -hmm. meditation practice, dream yoga, mm -hmm. you know, the yoga's a dream and sleep. I mean, you know, it's as deep as it gets, but mm. they've got no native psychedelic tradition. Mm. And, you know, what happens, you know, and this is the kind of progressive, the benefits to the progressive side, the kind of, almost like a sort of science, scientific approach that mm -hmm. what would happen if you take, you know, an ayahuasca tradition from the Amazon and pair that up with Tibetan Buddhist practice, what kind mm -hmm. of, you know, I'm not saying it's creating a new tradition, but what kind of experience as a practitioner does that create? And I, yeah, you know, so it's, it's kind of just bouncing off what you were just saying. Yeah, I think those are some good points. I mean, those kind of classic conservative insights going all the way back in some ways to Edmund Burke around, you know, just sort of like <laughs> the there's a certain hubris of thinking that uh, you can just kind of change anything when you don't fully understand the repercussions of, uh, or, or the full context of how systems are. And um, uh, of course, you know, for example, he was responding to the French Revolution where people enthusiastically believed that they could completely reframe the world overnight and uh, didn't go so well. Uh, so there's a balance to be had there between um, change and uh, conservation and appreciation of the past. And so, um, yeah, I think that, that that often is missed in progressive new age spiritual contexts. Um, so to your question of what's metamodern uh, spirituality, well, metamodern or metamodernism uh, is a paradigm that follows uh, postmodernism. Um, and so in the sense that it follows it, 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 it includes a lot of the um, insights, you could say, of postmodernism, but it also tries to kind of move beyond them and some, some of the limitations of, of postmodernism uh, to get at something that's ultimately even kind of more comprehensive. Um, so in the context of what we're talking about, I think a metamodern spiritual approach would, would be one that is aware of these dynamics and so tries to balance that a bit more by including, say, some of the more conservative traditional uh, elements of, of religion, as well as the postmodern sort of relative buffet style as well as as you were saying the science right which we get from modernity and uh and and so when you're able to draw on an even broader range of um kind of cultural codes and paradigms um that opens up 
new opportunities as well as provide some balancing, um, you know, harmonization uh, and integration of some of these uh, potential limitations. Um, I think another thing that's interesting is that for various reasons, postmodernism, because it's responding to and reacting to that whole modern scientific materialistic reductionistic thing, tended to go a bit too far in the direction of um, exploring the the non-rational, the irrational, um, and kind of you know poo-pooing the uh, modern or enlightenment project and science and all that stuff. And so it tends to privilege overall, I think, um, certain kinds of spirituality over others, which it will say, this is better and this is worse. So for example, you know, yeah, if you want to do some kind of, um, you know, uh, crystal ceremony or something a bit more in tune with sort of animist religious spiritual sensibilities, that's all great. If you want to go to a cathedral, that wouldn't be considered kind of on, on the menu in some ways because it's sort of, oh, but that's that's too traditional. Or, you know, if you really are interested in the, the science of the mind and consciousness, um, it might be, you know, postmodern spiritual new age folks might say, well, that's just reductionistic and, and this and that. So metamodern spirituality tries to bring a lot of those other things in as well and not leave them out um, for the sake of getting a, a more holistic and more rounded spiritual practice. That's one, that's one element, but there, there's, there's a lot to, more to be said about it. But in our conversation, we're, we're not going to have the time to do this subject mm -hmm. full justice, but we're just, we're, just, sure. we're just contributing a little bit of shaping mm -hmm. you know, to the conversation out there about what mm -hmm. this is. Um, well, I, I do also, yeah, unless you have another thought that you'd rather go into, there's there's one more thing about mm. this that I could throw in around yeah, sensibility. Dude. Sure. So um, I metamodernism uh, as a term kind of came to prominence in cultural studies where people were looking at art and and culture and seeing sort of a shift in zeitgeist in in you know the way that people felt and and sensed the world and thought about it. Um, and so uh, the early formulations of metamodernism really focused on what they called the sensibility of metamodernism or the structure of feeling. It's a different sort of way of being in the world. Um, and I think that that has really important repercussions for spiritual practice. Um, again, contrasting with sort of its most immediate kind of antecedent, postmodernism, Postmodernism has a kind of sensibility and structure of feeling, uh, which we've been talking a little bit about. Um, but when I, for example, am in new age spiritual contexts, there's a definite kind of feel to them. There's a there's a, a tone. There's a there's a there's a kind of frequency that I pick up on, um, which tends to be something like you know it's very much like let's just calm down, let's breathe, let's you know, let's really connect to our bodies. Let's, you know, um, there's a, there, there's a certain kind of, at this point, what seem like a number of cliches almost, um, that, uh, and this isn't, this isn't, I don't mean to denigrate this sort of a thing because a lot of this does depend on different people's sensibilities and preferences. Um, but there's definitely a sense of if you're entering, entering a kind of new age space that you're going to get, uh, what, it sort of in a pejorative sense is called like woo right um there's my bird yeah. um so 
I think that in a metamodern sensibility, um, there's a there tends to be a little bit more of an allergy, though that might be too strong of a word. At the very least, there's a bit more reticence to just kind of turn into this goopy, you know, let's all bliss out ohm thing, you know, and kind of kick our rational mind out the door. There, in my experience, and also largely just what I'm talking about for my own preferences too, so take all that with a grain of salt, um, there's a bit, there's a desire for a bit more of that rational mind to still be showing up, uh, still be um, aware, critiquing, scrutinizing, right? Um, so rather than just step in the door and now it's, you know, I want you all to close your eyes and wiggle your feet and, you know, make strange bear sounds or whatever. Um, I'm going to be sort of being like, uh, why are we doing this? And like, what is this getting at? And I feel kind of like an idiot uh, doing this. And like, what's the spiritual significance of all this and that sort of a thing. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at there is that the sorts of practices that, that wind up feeling very organic and I think a metamodern space tend to look a little different than what they would uh, what they would be in postmodern spaces and I can say more about that but uh, that would be sort of a very rough pass at some yeah. of the way that the sensibility plays out yeah I'd, I'd say that the um, the metamodern as you say brings back in that that rationality um, mm. but uh, but also the rigor of the traditions and, and a respect mm -hmm. for their evolved structure um mm -hmm. and that um you know things like a sort of classic new age thing would be to take a practice like zogchen or something and um or or, or advaita vedanta and be like well yeah i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna skip all the boring stuff and go straight to the end you know mm. like yeah, you, mm -hmm. you know, everything is perfect you're perfect just as you are and just as this is and it's like, well, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll just, I'll just take that without actually doing all of the work leading up to, you know, because I, right. I think paths like Zogchen, they start with those instructions because that's true. But then, mm -hmm. you know, there's decades or you basically, however long you live, you're practicing, mm -hmm. you're, you're developing yourself, you're going through all these preliminary practices and ethical practices, concentration practices, it's hard work. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, yeah, so when I see, um, I think of, like, the, when you say the feeling of it, the kind of, uh, that there's a kind of um, a laziness, I think, um, mm. and, and an aversion to hard work uh, that mm. I've noticed in the kind of postmodern new agey kind of thing. And then when I've hung out in groups which are interested in this, post-progressive, metamodern, integral, evolutionary, um, you know, a type of spiritual practice. They're, they're mm -hmm. as much at home, you know, sticking their, their, their genitals in the mud, you know, and howling like an owl um, as they are doing a very, very rigorous 10 mm -hmm. years of sustained practice in mm -hmm. that particular tradition whilst learning about the philosophical traditions of the west and the east you know uh, yeah and and science and the story of the universe and there's one other thing i want to say before i guess mm -hmm. forget it was what i was thinking when you were saying about the kind of the new age thing tends to um uh disregard the logos in favor of the mythos mm. so logos mm. being that kind of 
rationality, um, science side of things, and mythos being the kind of Jungian archetypal kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And there, there's this guy called Damien uh, Walter, who I've had on this podcast. He's a science fiction critic. He's got a great podcast called The Science Fiction Podcast. And something he says is that science fiction is the the term science fiction's got those two things in it science is the logos and mm. fiction is the mythos mm. and science fiction is logos plus mythos and the way mm. i see a kind of meta modern spiritual practice is your life becomes a work of science fiction in mm. that sense <laughs> you know i like uh, that yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, so a couple of thoughts around that. One, um, I want to come back to that science fiction bit. I like that. Um, but first, I think probably uh, one of the best ways of being able to get at, I think the way that it, I'm thinking of this is um, if, if you're really able, if you're really existing in a pluralistic context and you're able to toggle back and forth between these different modes, whether that's a traditional religious or a modern scientific or a postmodern relativistic, etc., um, then that actually shows a genuine capacity to engage effectively at those different modes. And it doesn't mean th that they all need to be operating at once, um, but they do, I think, need to be uh, capacities. And so one of the things I do, for example, see as a meaningful distinction is if you're in, say, maybe a new age context, um, if someone were to say, hey, I, how does that crystal work? Um, there, there might be an answer that's sort of, it, you know, well, you can't bring a scientific way of thinking about it. You know, you have to, it's intuitive, it's this and that, right? And uh, I think that a, a meta-modern angle would be like, we can still do the crystal thing, but, but when asked, like, from a scientific or, or a rational side, how does it work? Uh, <coughs> there'd be some level of engagement on that, if that makes sense. Or maybe a better example would be, um, I, I studied uh, Christianity uh, when I was um, in, in university and it was originally, that was gonna be my trajectory. So I learned Greek and studied biblical studies and the whole shebang. Um, I think that someone could do that um, and, be in sort of a meta-modern spiritual context and still be sort of like totally devotionally relating to God, let's say, um, or the Bible and just getting some profound insight from reading the Bible. Um, but then when someone asks, well, don't you know about how the Bible was composed? You know, it was like written by all these different people and it was all these different sources compiled together. The person would be like, yes, that's true. And let me tell you all about how that process worked, right? Mm -hmm. There's sort of a rational understanding of all that. Um, but that doesn't interfere then with the other modes that they're able to engage with in Christianity, right? So well, versus if you were to do the same thing, maybe with uh, someone operating purely in like a traditional religious mode, uh, none of that would be there, right? You'd say, hey, don't you know how the Bible was composed? And I'd say, well, yes, Moses, you know, received it from God on the mountain. And, you know, this was a divine revelation. And so the point is, I, I guess I'm trying to get at that those are limitations if you're not able to operate, you know, and see the, the picture from all these different angles and inhabit them, uh, not necessarily simultaneously, but at the very least in some kind of back and forth oscillatory dance. Um, 
then you're missing something bigger about the, the bigger picture. And I think that that can be a good sort of litmus test for being like, well, is this a new age thing or a traditional thing, or is this a metamodern thing? I think you can, when you can, when you can ask rational questions, when you can ask devotional questions, when you can ask mystical questions or non-intuitive questions, I think a metamodern person doing the spirituality thing is going to be able to respond in all those different registers. Yeah. And I think that if you're missing a register, it might be like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a different kind of engagement. Does, does that make sense? I'm not yeah, sure I think, I think you could describe it as a deep, genuine friendliness to all different approaches mm. towards things. Um, and, mm. and, and in a way where you actually understand where those approaches are coming from you're not just sort mm -hmm. of paying lip service to it you you mm -hmm. you know in the way that say um if someone if you're talking to someone and you're having a dispute it it's a you you uh you don't straw man their argument you know you, mm -hmm. you steel man mm -hmm. their argument by actually proving to them that you actually understand their perspective um, yeah. and you might and disagree I, with I, it you know, you can still right. disagree with it, but at least you actually shown that, that you, you just, you know it. And I, one of the things just just say about what you were saying about mm -hmm. these different modes operating at the same time, Steve McIntosh um, describes it as operating as a chord, like a musical chord. Mm. Yeah. You know? And it's got that kind of yep. harmony of moving mm -hmm. beyond just using single notes at, yeah. at once at a time. You know, you can actually play a chord. Yeah, I like that. Um, and in some ways, this might be a good bridge into the science fiction point. Um, but I was just going to point out that I think for a lot of people, they might hear some of this and it could sound very paradoxical, right? Um, one of the things about, for example, modern scientific study, uh, especially when applied to religious or spiritual uh, material, is, is that it often seems to discredit it or undermine it or um, disprove it, quote unquote, um, and that can often lead people to a state of sort of disenchantment or disillusionment and atheism, materialism, et cetera, right? Um, and so that, that's usually been the reason why people in traditional religions, you know, I uh, askance a lot of the critical study of religion. Um, and so I think it's important to be able to explore spirituality um, that can still contain both of those things. And again, that might sound paradoxical. It's sort of like, well, well, how could you, you know, relate in some profound way to a spiritual text, for example, that you know to have been, you know, basically cobbled together by many people and 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 actually bringing up the pseudonymity thing again, you know, people claiming to be people they're not, uh, you know, describing events that probably didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that just doesn't make sense. But in a metamodern lens, um, those things can be held uh, together. So you can say, yeah, I know that this is constructed, but I still have a deep, profound spiritual devotional connection to this material. Yeah. Um, and, and so this gets a little bit at that logos mythos thing that you were naming, um, because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is, I think inhabiting that dual realm of of well you could say you could think of it in terms of the logical and the and the imaginal or something um those things work together rather than um being antagonistic yeah and um i i personally see an important element of metamodern spirituality as 
really inhabiting that sphere of, of, of let's just say the science fiction element, the logos mythos thing where um, we're actually really engaging with both. We're actually allowed to create things. So there's the fiction side, this is, this is a construct, um, but these somehow these things that we're creating are still speaking to reality and they're still plugging us in even deeper to reality. Uh, the, the, I mean, for me, the best instance of this, and I think probably the easiest for a lot of people to get is, is poetry itself, right? Um, you know, you can say something like, uh, my love is a red, red rose. And in some ways that's a fiction. It's a total lie. That person isn't a rose. On the other hand, by using that, that fiction, you're getting at a deeper truth that just sheer logos couldn't, uh, Get, couldn't get at. And so there are many beautiful ways that metamodern spirituality opens up new angles on reality by engaging with it um, in all of its constructed uh, forms, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um, you, you, know, you could simply state that as one of the hallmarks of metamodern spiritual practices is a full on embrace of par of paradox mm. you know but um paradox is often seen as a as a problem um you know mm. it's like people don't like paradoxes it is mm -hmm. they're uncomfortable mm -hmm. and um i think paradoxes are in inescapable inescapably part of this type mm. of um spirituality and spiritual practice mm -hmm. and they're always going to be uncomfortable and that's that's where the practice comes in of 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 um you know it's a little bit like i don't know being tra trained to hold some intense energy inside mm. your you know your energetic system mm. in, in your 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 body um you know it takes practice and mm -hmm. an initial inc you know forays into the world of paradox can really drive people nuts and you know the, yeah. an, example, an ancient example would be the zen koan practice you know mm. that's just like diving straight into the world of paradox and becoming mm -hmm. at home there um mm -hmm. and i think i think one of the things that's slightly related to that point which i would consider a hallmark of it is is a, is a conscious um and full-on embrace of complexity and mm -hmm. complexity being um, one of the attributes of reality mm. and um, you know to unpack that and how it relates to what we were saying earlier is you you know when you look at say a religious tradition it's a complex system and you can't just uproot certain bits of it and mm. mix them with something else from somewhere else because that's mm -hmm. you then have ended up with something that is complicated not complex mm. And mm -hmm. you know, the distinction between complexity and complicatedness for, for those listening in the way I'm talking about it, a complicated thing is like if I took my laptop apart, it's it's made of complicated parts. It's a complicated artifact. Um, but all of the activities that we do on our laptop are complex. It's the, it's the relationships um, mm. of, of everything that happens there. And you can't remove one part of that. You know, I can swap out a bit of my laptop and put another bit in to keep it working. Mm -hmm. But let's say, you know, there are bits I couldn't pull out of our conversation here and it mm. still be on the same rail. You know, I mean, mm. I could, 
do you know what I mean? It's um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a bird murmuration, you know. That's uh, I often go to those murmurations of birds or, or 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 schools of fish to think about, you know, the complex, right? Like with a laptop, you can take it all apart and put it all back together, and it all hangs together, and that's how that thing works. With a bird murmuration, you could take out all those birds, but you'll never find the murmuration. You know, that murmuration, that bigger form only occurs when all of them are working together in concert. And so the parts uh, aren't aren't uh, just the the whole. And I think that's what that's what I would describe a meta modern spiritual practice. And I think, mm. um, you know, another example of this is what was called integral life practice, which was a sort mm -hmm. of spiritual practice that was created by ken wilbur and some other people mm -hmm. and you know it might but from the outside look like a just a kind of messy complicated thing but actually it's it's about the complexity and richness mm -hmm. that's created by engaging um, mm -hmm. with those practices yeah I, i'm really glad you brought up complexity because that is a really crucial component i think of metamodern thinking uh and metamodern spirituality for a number of different ways, some theoretical, but also, I mean, here we're talking about practice and I think that there's a praxis component to it as well. Um, at the theoretical level, what I've been talking about with these worldviews, you know, being able to encompass more and more of the previous worldviews is a form of complexity, of kind of hierarchical complexity of, of things building upon uh, previous things to make greater and greater holes, right? So in some ways, what a metamodern spirituality aspires to is, is as complex a relationship of all of these parts as possible in some ways to really give them the full resolution that they all deserve. Um, and so the more you can kind of, you know, nest, uh, right? I mean, sort of modernity has, an, has a reflective eye on traditionalism. It's able to see how traditionalism might be failing in certain ways, right? So that kind of gives it a bit of a higher vantage, but then the postmoderns have an eye on modernity. They see how the ways it fails, right? So metamodernism is kind of trying to get an eye on postmodernism and, and and all the rest, right? And then trying to bring out the special elements of, of each and, and all of those. So that's one way that complexity is really important uh, theoretically, but it's also then a practice, right? How does one become more complex in their thinking? Um, you know, I was, I was thinking you were, you just said something a couple minutes ago about um, sort of the, 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 oh, it was about paradox, how it's hard to hold paradox. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge. You could think about that as a sort of spiritual practice of, uh, you know, spiritual practices are difficult. Um, you know, sitting for a couple of hours doing meditation can be difficult or, um, you know, any number of the sort of old, you know, whether it was fasting or uh, these kind of vision quests, right? They, they're demanding in some way. There's a, an ascesis to them. There's a training or a discipline. And I think of the practice of, of becoming more complex as being uh, a spiritually significant one, right? How can you maintain another perspective simultaneously to a, a different perspective? How can you learn more and more about reality and try to synthesize all of that information. So for me, like philosophy and science um, are are both in some ways spiritual practices because you're 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 growing in your resolution of reality and trying to incorporate more of it into your internal world. Um, and 
uh, yeah, I think that those are really important uh, kind of spiritual practices and not just sort of mental practices. Like if you go back to the ancient philosophers, philosophy wasn't just something you got a degree in or taught at university. It was a way of life. You know, it was uh, John Verveke is kind of bringing some of this back with his work around Dialogos and really trying to engage this in a kind of platonic way again. Um, but I think that's something that our culture has sort of lost a lot. And so thinking about wisdom itself as being uh, the growing uh, of, of one's thought and one's uh, mind and complexity, I think, is an interesting way of conceiving yeah. one element of metamodern spiritual practice. I think I think one one way you could another way you could describe what wisdom is, is uh, a, a wise person is someone who has a, a complex mind, a complex soul, mm. you know, a mm -hmm. complex personality. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean, you know, quite often complex is a, is a sort of negative so it's like oh man oh that person's mm. complex you know i don't mean i don't yeah. mean it in that sense you know as, mm -hmm. as a, a kind of beneficial um thing richness you know a bit like uh, well, an old whiskey takes tastes complex yeah. whereas a young whiskey i like that yeah. You know, it's, yeah well and and there's some really fascinating ways too in which complexity is itself um related to fundamentally the nature of consciousness basically consciousness according to more and more of the studies that are coming out in fields like integrated information theory um and 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 uh you know go but also going all the way back to philosophers like Teilhard de Chardin um people have been realizing that um the more complex interweaving and interrelationships that are going on in your brain uh, that you can think of that as a deepening of consciousness itself. Um, and so in that sense, when people talk about, uh, you know, reaching a higher state of consciousness or just the whole idea of an evolution of consciousness in general, um, you know, one of the, you know, crucial insights of a lot of this complexity science and uh, systems theory, uh, you know, science that's coming out is showing that the complexity of things is intricately related to that deepening of consciousness. So again, as far as spiritual practices go, um, if there is some kind of a effort or desire to ascend in one's, uh, you know, expand one's consciousness, so to speak, right? Um, there's a very real way in which that's intimately related to complexification. Uh, and I find that very, very beautiful. Uh, I think kind of related theme, which I see as being a very common one and all, perhaps a hallmark a signif you know uh, a sign of um kind of meta modern spirituality is uh, a non dual um practice mm. and, mm -hmm. and you know non duality exists in christianity judaism islam um you know B buddhism you know all, there, there's a, there's a non dual um elements that you can find in mm -hmm. all of the traditions and you know to define non-duality for those who might not have heard of the term um yeah well it's difficult you know a sort of uh you know a couple of, of, of quick definitions would be um you know non-dual non-dual means not one but not two uh you know kind of like the the term um and when you think about complexity and consciousness being involved in experience and what we call reality or our experience of the universe and world it's in a complex relationship with matter and those kind of things mm -hmm. you know, what we call matter and mm -hmm. I, I think 
um you know one of the sort of another thing that i see as a, as a hallmark or characteristic of metamodern modern spiritual practices is a recognition that our experience is part is is partly or even sometimes people would say mainly constructed by us mm -hmm. constructed by mm -hmm. our senses by our um, um our anthropocentrism our you know our mm. brain our body our our entire physiology our upbringing our culture social cultural context mm. all of those things shape what we perceive and what we see and what we see as relevant um, mm -hmm. and i think an actual you know laying that out on the table at the outset mm -hmm. and saying you know, we are we know that we're constructing this moment partly yeah um, yeah well i was just gonna say and and to to celebrate that and its possibilities rather than mm, yeah. the alternatives right because oh, i think yeah. that yeah there's there's uh for for sort of maybe if you were to present that idea to someone and maybe maybe a more traditional religious mode or mindset and say hey <laughs> you know your your religion is in many ways a construct and you are kind of buying into a bunch of things that have been constructed by people over the centuries and a social system and you know this and that right uh most people hear that and they recoil they say no this is absolute truth and this is revelation and you know and and it's sort of like okay we're not going to go there uh if you go if you try to say the same thing to scientists you know they will say similarly no 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 this is universal truth this is objective you know we've made sure that we don't have any of that you know cultural bias or whatever we're doing real truth here we're real and, science and we we don't do anthropomorphizing no 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 right no. right you know yeah uh, oh, no, getting no. the fact that if you're a human being you cannot help anthropomorphize you know what I mean? sure. you yeah. know what i mean it's like yeah. if, you, sure. if anything that's a product of a human mind um you know has an anthropocentric uh, anthropocentric spin on it it's just yeah. the, an unavoidable bind of being a human yeah. being. I mean, I, exactly. I, would say, I know people would, would argue till the cows come home with me about that, <laughs> but, you know, putting my chips on the table. <laughs> yeah, no. And then I think that a lot of that, that's a crucial insight, for example, that the postmodernists were able to bring to the table. Mm. But where they failed with it was they, they saw that as sort of a, at 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 worst, well, let's say at best, it was something that could help us liberate ourselves from, you know, oppressive social structures. At worst, though, it was sort of a radically relativistic, uh, skeptical, even nihilistic observation that nothing's real. You know, you, yeah. you could say, oh, well, if it's all a social construct. It's all just a social construct, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like all of those approaches don't, don't, uh meet the opportunity for an insight like that and so one of the things that i think you're exactly right is that that's very prominent and front and center in many ways in metamodern thinking that these much of what we're engaging with you know we'll leave open how much is is a social construct is a is a mental construct is you know it's constructed in some fundamental way and rather than see that as a, oh no nothing's real and i'm falling through the void um that's an incredible, it's an incredible idea. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity, one, to start then shaping, you know, to, to start constructing, you know, uh, if, if we are in a world in, in large part of constructs, uh, we shouldn't be passive about that. We should be active architects and designers of the yeah. world. Uh, and, uh, and so a lot of reconstruction 
occurs because of the deconstruction that the postmodernists were able to point out. The difference is that the postmodernists in large part were still in the metaphysical, sorry, I'm getting very abstract now, but they're still very in the metaphysical kind of uh, worldview of modernists. So they were still thinking that there was sort of this thing of objective truth, but now we're just saying it doesn't exist. Whereas yeah, yeah. in this so view- Yes, yeah. like there's there's this objective truth, but we can never get to it because we basically just live in a prison, you know, mm -hmm. a, a prison that the that, that oppressive um, forces have created for us, um, you know, through history um, and yeah. our biology and uh, and uh, and all of those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, this is a great way of bringing up another topic that I think in my conception just of metamodern you, spirituality. Just before you do yeah, that, sure. can you yeah. can you hold that one? Just just because uh, um, yeah. this relates to complexity, non-duality, mm -hmm. you know, that one of the kind of positive, one of the positive sides of this, this that reality is partially constructed is that, and this relates to non-duality, that consciousness is always part of um, anybody's experience of anything. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the one of the sort of uh, what what they say in Tibetan Buddhism, the nature of consciousness um, is its freedom, um, mm. freedom from freedom to be. You know, it's sort of inherently uncontracted. It has an inherently uncontracted aspect to it that you become familiar with through meditation and stuff. So, mm. you know, one of the benefits of that realization is that your Th that aspect of yourself that is forever free, always already uncontracted and free, is inextricably in, uh, in a complex relationship with your experience of this moment and is always part of it. You're never mm. not um, experiencing what in tradition might be called the enlightened mind. It's an inherent mm. natural part of every every the experience of every conscious mind and it just has to be recognized mm. um so and i and i think um you know but, uh, the, the other thing i was thinking with it when people take a slightly different point that you were saying that you can actually be an architect of your own life mm -hmm. an architect of culture that when people take that a little bit too far you end up with this sort of excesses of the law of attraction type of well mm. you know yep. so yep. It, mm -hmm. We're not exactly talking about things going that far, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, that just I just wanted to kind of put that out there before we moved off. off yeah, side. no, I, I think that the law of attraction stuff is a good example of maybe like a new age insight around uh, the constructedness uh, that we're engaging in, um, whereas you know. The reason why that can become problematic is because it doesn't have that rational rigor to, you know, balance it out in the way that we were talking mm. about other spiritual ideas. The kind of con conscious engagement with the construction of reality uh, opens up really interesting and I think um, spiritually compelling opportunities in a metamodern context. Um, specifically, um, one of the things I'm really interested in is what's called mythopoeia, which is the creation of myths or symbols uh, working in a mythological register, you know, in that in that that mythos side of the science fiction or the yeah, the fiction side. And um, I think that 
doing so only kind of makes sense when you appreciate the constructedness of so much of reality and the very um, exciting possibilities and the the open nature that that then um, affords us about reality itself and our ability to um, shape our experience and others' experience with reality. Because if so much of what we're getting about reality is mediated to us through social structures and through our language and through the symbols that we're using, right? Um, there are mythological structures as you just pointed out too exactly right right i mean and i mean i tend to use that word myth very broadly uh so i don't necessarily mean again that it's like a false story i mean myths are myths are encompassing broad ways uh, of understanding the world through story and through ideas and through symbols that uh that we use to make sense of the world um and those can be more or less life-affirming they can be more or less constraining or or uh, or opening uh and so once we are kind of keyed in to that or tuned into that um we are in a position to actively craft those mediating myths um and do so more consciously in the same way or akin to the way that people often talk about like conscious evolution right for so much of evolution we were sort of just it was a passive thing it was our our environment was selecting uh you know what was evolving essentially but now eventually human beings maybe other sentient life in the universe become aware of that become conscious of that process and then when that happens uh you can actually consciously shape the evolution of society and 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 beings right um, I don't mean that in a dark, like eugenics way. I mean, in, in terms of our consciousness and our mind and, and, and yeah, all sorts of other things. Like, right? uh, so, Co-create yeah. co, co it. You know, you're, you're working with sure. the, deep, the deep mythological currents that mm -hmm. are part of, of, of na you know, the, the nature yes. of, of a mind. Um, right. You know, you're not, you, that's, if you think, you know, you're David and Goliath, well, not David and Goliath, but you're, 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 a, you're a little puny little thing versus that enormously deep force of mythological mm. you know mm -hmm. um motivation that that's running mm -hmm. through all all of uh consciousness and uh you know you're kind of working with it rather than uh you know <laughs> trying to you know necessarily shape something uh from scratch because um right right i mean it's it's in you know kind of thinking in jungian terms about this right if there's some kind of fund of archetypal images inside of us in our collective unconscious um let's just use that framework right it's it's not that we're creating those archetypes it's just that we're more aware of our of, of how we are relating to them and being more open to them you know of, of expressing them uh and and engaging that process so rather than things coming up in torrents and dreams and, you know, expressing themselves in the kind of uh, collective space uh, as these ideologies and, you know, big uh, mythically inspired political movements and whatnot. That can be very destru destructive if we can become more conscious of that process and then actually do it uh, intentionally and say, you know, well, how do we engage uh, mythological symbols and images and constructs in a way that is maximally you know life-affirming 
uh, affords maximal human flourishing, et cetera, et cetera. You can kind of set certain logical parameters uh, because what was before just purely kind of unconscious coming through uh, can now be sort of tempered by and in in accord with and engaging with the logical side. So again, you got kind of that mythos and logos working simultaneously, uh, if that makes sense. So the science fiction of, of your life, uh, I think is a, a term you were talking about earlier of kind of engaging that way with your life um, is, is a big part of, of this sort of a thing. And it's also, I think, a, a cultural project. Um, it's a way of thinking about how, what are we putting into the world that might be making the world better? Um, and so uh yeah, yeah you could call it kind of ge generative rather than sort of the sort of more dismantling type of mm -hmm. orientation yes. yeah yeah what what do you think about this that another thing that i think i've noticed as a as a trait of sort of meta, meta modern spiritual practice and communities is that it tends to be what used to be traditionally called a householder path where people mm. are um you know they've got families they've got jobs they're they're, mm. they're politically engaged um they're not kind of um you know so it it then it's not necessarily a sort of monastic orientation yep. although there certainly yeah. are versions of that and i think um mm -hmm. daniel thorson who does the emerge podcast mm -hmm. is part of something called the monastic Acad academy so that's yep. you know it's obviously yep. a monastic setup mm -hmm. but they're not mm -hmm. doing kind of um traditional monasticism yeah um but so i think, I, I think i'm not yeah. saying there's there's no there's no evidence of a monastic or um you mm -hmm. know reclusive uh, way of doing this but i i, I mm -hmm. don't know what what do, what do you think i think that's very spot on in terms of emphasis i think you're exactly right um and i've i've talked to daniel thorson a lot about this because um because i find this a really important topic um so, yes, I think that, um, you know, the way that I tend to look at this is that um, there's a tension, I guess, to put it mildly, I think, within full-on renunciant monastic contexts between um, uh, uh, the call of sort of that traditional way of doing things and the call of what our contemporary society in some ways needs and some of the insights of, you know, post-traditional ways of, of looking at the world. Um, it's a very traditional way to do religion of thinking in terms of I will, I will sort of exit, you know, the world in the kind of Pauline sense of, you know, it's, uh, the, you know, the, the fallen world as it were, I will kind of remove myself from that and I will uh, renounce it and I will go live in a cloister and seek, you know, relationship to the divine in an intense, focused, all encompassing, uh, totally comprehensive sort of a way, basically until I, I get there sort of a thing. Um, and maybe the, even the until I get there isn't really the important part. It's just that there's a that the the religious sensibility is everything, um, wherein the the religious here means precisely relationship hmm, to sort of transcendence, 
I guess would be maybe a better way of putting it, right? That's a model, that's a way of, of doing that. And that you see that in all cultures that have had those sorts of things. I mean, the Christians had the desert fathers and the anchorites that became the monasteries of the medieval period. And obviously there's a very rich monastic tradition in, uh, in Buddhism um, and so, and other traditions obviously. But so, so that's an option, but I feel like that uh, does get a lot of its inspiration and a lot of its, um, kind of cue from a, a traditional mindset, which is assuming that there is sort of this world and another world, there's some transcendent thing that like that is the ultimate thing and everything else compared to that doesn't really matter. Maybe this whole world that we're living in is just temporary and transient anyway. And so, you know, the thing that you should be doing is focusing all your attention on the transcendent. And I think some of the most extreme forms of that turn to asceticism, right? Not only is this world bad and stupid and the transcendent is all we should care about, but we should actually like punish ourselves or self-flagellate or like actively seek out pain and suffering as some kind of religious practice in and of itself in order to denigrate the body and mortify the flesh to make the transcendent more, um, more pronounced. That whole thing can become, I think, very pathological. And I think a lot of the insights that we've gotten from modernity and post-modernity really bear that out, name it. I mean, Nietzsche's critiques of a lot of this are really crucial in all this regard, right? So there are ways where monasticism becomes um, not ideal. Uh, so that I think is true. And I think that um, there are certainly ways to do monasticism, uh, like the neo-monastic communities where we're avoiding the pathologies we're avoiding the broken worldview as much as possible, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I do still think that there's a tension there. And I, I know that some of these neo-mastic communities struggle with that. They're sort of like, how traditionalist should we be? How much should we be leaning into a particular, you know, one tradition, right? In the same way that we were talking about earlier that, we, you know, it, it's about sinking in, that those fences are there for a reason, that there's something to all this, right? Um, I know that that's a struggle. And so, I wanted to name all that and then also basically suggest that um, how I tend to see much of metamodern spirituality is, uh, is a form that, as you're saying, is less geared towards that renunciant ascetic uh, monastic way of life and more, to use your term, kind of the householder or the lay idea um, of how do we live in the world um, with all of our normal mundane seeming things of you know human relationships and you know going to work and 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 living in in the world how do we do that and still have a deep spiritual path a, a, a spiritual connection um yeah. and i think i think that's one of the critiques that the monastic side would say about the householder path is that you're not you're not devoting enough time to your practice and mm. it's not deep you know one of the things is that your entire life every aspect of your life becomes practice and act of devotion mm -hmm. an act mm -hmm. of deepening an act of evolution um so i think i think you know i mean i the case i'm putting forward and i think your i can sense you're putting forward is that the life of a, a normal life in a modern in contemporary world it's entirely possible to go super deep with spiritual practice yeah, I think so. And, and I, 
I think it's also, I'm going to take kind of the pluralistic element here even further and suggest that there's not, there are multiple ways of realizing something uh, transcendent and spiritual. Um, so I don't disagree with the idea that if you were to commit to a monastic path and do that thing for 30 years, you might have an experience that is unique to that path. Like that might be a set of conditions that you need to have a certain kind of awakening experience. And so I'm not trying to suggest that, oh, anyone can get that by, you know, doing just uh, other things. Um, I think what I'm suggesting more though, is that um, what we conceive of as even being the transcendent goal or what we are aspiring to can be conceived of in a plurality of ways such that, um, as you suggest, you know, anything can be an act of service or devotion. Uh, I forget who it is in Catholicism. It was very, very much about like, like you're doing the dishes, right? And that's like a divine act. It's a, a divine act of service. You might even have some kind of like transcendent feeling where, you know, you're just, oh my gosh, I feel the, the light of God shining on me. And all you're really doing is just, you know, scrubbing the toilet or something. Um, and so I think that, I think it's important to consider all the ways that spirituality can manifest and that the sacred, the sense of the sacred can manifest. You know, it can be the whirlwind. It can also be the still uh, small voice, you know? Um, and so I think that a pluralistic perspective such as metamodernism or, you know, yeah, let's just say metamodern spirituality uh, tries to cultivate is um, appreciative and respective of respectful of, of that plurality. Um, so, so that would be one answer to it. Um, and then, because that also then does say that there is an important place for monastic communities, a really important place. Um, where I become a little hesitant is when I hear the notion that monastic communities are like where the real work is done. You know, yeah. it's sort of like, if you really wanna do the fast track, you can do this, right? Mm -hmm. If you wanna kind of get there slower, you can, and, and, and I'm skeptical very much of that because it suggests that there's, you know, this is the way to do it. And these other things sort of aren't that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 I would, I would also say, I mean, sorry, there's, this is such a rich topic. So mm, a yeah, um, sure. couple things. One is um, I'm very interested. I, I run a retreat center here uh, in Vermont and uh, the monastic Academy. I'm really great friends with them. Daniel is a good friend of mine and I've really come to appreciate the work that they're doing so much. They're just up the road from me about maybe 50 minutes. So we're having some really great inter interchanges or exchanges. Um, uh, and so I think that they're doing a really wonderful um, setup in a neo-monastic container. One of the things that I'm looking to explore are um, are containers that are inspired by a certain kind of neo-monasticism, but are more geared towards, you know, the householder or the layperson. Uh, so I run, it's, it's you know, um, we've had some metamodern spirituality or a uh, retreat here. We're going to have another one in the fall. And I'm seeing opportunities for ways of people to come together, to engage in community, to engage in spiritual practice um, that are a bit more autonomous, a bit less structured, a bit more organic. Um, and I feel like there's a really important place for that uh, because, I mean, not only do we barely have any wisdom monastic traditions that are, you know, uh, that are thriving uh, here in the West and in America specifically, but we also just don't have the gradient, the range, the, the, the possibilities as much. And so I'd love to see a lot of that get filled out more so that, you know, 
people could do a weekend retreat and, and have that experience. They could get uh, the kind of nourishment that comes from that, but they could also maybe apply for a two month, you know, residency of waking up at 430 in the morning and chanting and meditating and all, all of that is valuable. Um, and so being able to facilitate where people are at in different ways um, effectively, I think is a really important challenge for, uh, for a, a practice to, for establishing an ecology of practices um, mm. in a metamodern mode. Uh, I think, and that brings us on to what might be our last point. You know, this this is about where do we see this metamodern meta modern spiritual spirituality out there in the world? Mm. What are the examples mm -hmm. of it? And I think you know this is this is a little bit difficult because a lot of the examples of it I've seen have been as disappointing as they are inspiring. Mm. Um, and I take as an example, you know thinking about what you were just saying at the end there about sort of a, a, a sort of quasi monastic it's a little bit monastic it's it's a community based around practice but people mm -hmm. have jobs and all that kind of thing i think an example of that was enlightened next mm -hmm. um which had andrew cohen as a guru um mm -hmm. but um and i i thought a lot of the stuff they created was really good this magazine they made for example was fantastic it's called what what is enlightenment and then it was became a light next magazine but it was all based around andrew cohen as this guru figure right. and he was a, a seriously problematic character yeah and the whole thing fell apart um yep. and um you know mainly because it was to do with andrew cohen as a guru that was the problem and i mean and this mm -hmm. this and i might give us another example if you go on to the integral global facebook page which is a sort of like mm -hmm. facebook interface where the integral movement relates with the outside world it's as mm -hmm. it's a filthy cesspool as much as any <laughs> twitter place and you know uh, facebook forum and i mean they, yeah. there's great i i will go there and you know get some great stuff sometimes but i look at a lot of it and i think for fuck's sake this is just um <laughs> this is this is this is pathetic um mm. and um and i think you know a lot of the, the 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 kind of teachers that have been part of this movement you know a lot of them have been um promoted and uh you know given the thumbs up by certain people and have ended up the classic things you know sex money power um yep. you know abusing it and they've ended up not being great people um mm -hmm. and you know it's and it's so you know the question is is two questions if we can squeeze them in one is sure. is there a role for gurus anymore in mm -hmm. this uh i i'll just i'll, I'll just give my short answer is mm -hmm. i don't i'm i'm pretty I'm much more erring on the side of I don't think there is a place for in the world for gurus in this mm -hmm. modern spirituality. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a place for teachers, absolutely, mm -hmm. uh, and I mm -hmm. think in a more collaborative sense. Um, mm -hmm. But the old-fashioned type of guru in the way Andrew Cohen was trying to do things, I honestly, mm -hmm. my opinion is I don't think that's. I'd say an example of someone who I think is doing it right, I would say, is Samuel Bonda. Mm. Uh, and Linda, Linda, Samuel and Linda Bonda, I really mm -hmm. love those people. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they're they're doing something different. You know, they are transmitting mm. in the sense of a guru, um, but they are just the most friendly, lovely, approachable people, and they're very, very conscious of 
abuses of power and uh, you know they understand yep. everything we've been talking about for example yeah um so that's one thing and you know what are where are the places that you see this and i'll just list yeah. off a few and you know you can add some i mean i i think the rebel wisdom podcast is mm. is an example of it mm -hmm. i'd say um oh i wrote these down somewhere and i can't find <laughs> the list now um you know i think some of the integral movement is is demonstrating it but again you know some of it is very disappointing uh you know we talked about daniel thorson the monastic academy um you know some of the people that were in enlightened next went on to do interesting stuff mm. elizabeth de bold um is doing things in germany which are which are interesting and i think as a kind of broad sense there's a kind of yeah i don't know i mean those are those are my my, mm -hmm. my my starting points yeah it's a great question uh let me see if i can tackle it um so one observation first uh, up front is um metamodernism in the sense that we're using it now uh has in many ways come to occupy a place after the so-called like integral diaspora right um uh, you had the rise of this integral movement, and there was a lot of fascinating ideas coming out of it and then communities. Um, but a lot of it broke down and didn't work and had some really nasty uh, things go down. Uh, and you're alluding to some prime examples. The Andrew Cohen, uh, one, I know Mark Gaffney was Genpo another. Roshi. Yeah, there was just kind of scandal after scandal. Oh, one and, after um, the other, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so... All uh, people, I'll just say all people I've, I have valued their work mm. greatly. Yeah. You know, uh, all, all three of those uh, yeah. people, Genpo Roshi, Mark Gaffney, Andrew Cohen, mm -hmm. but as people, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so I would say this topic is a really important one. It's actually one that I um, got into, I think we did maybe a two hour long conversation, Layman Pascal and I on this topic. Um, so if people want a little bit more of it, my take on this and some of this, uh, check out the integral stage, uh, conversation we did on the salon of the band, um, where I interviewed Lehman and we really got into this topic. Um, I think those guys are an, an example of something I would say at the moment, it looks good. Um, the yeah, integral yeah, well, yeah, so and Lehman Pascal, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll, and I'm, I'm going to mention them in a second, but I just wanted to, to propose framework first, which is that metamodernism as it uh, is used now is, you know, largely influenced by the Hansi Freinacht works that came out uh, starting in 2017, written by Daniel Gortz and Emil Fries, and both of whom were intimately involved with the integral scene, in some ways are part of that uh, diaspora and that 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 resulted in large part because of the, the failings, the perceived failings in that uh, integral scene. And so metamodernism in that sense, from those voices, is really in many ways a continuation of some of the core integral ideas, but with an attempt to uh, uh, also build in the critique of what went wrong there. So if you read the Hansi books, for example, there's a huge recurring leitmotif of watch out for the, for the guru, watch out for the, you know, the, the spiritual teacher who just, you know, wants your money and is going to sleep with your wife and all this stuff and all the power dynamics that, that emerge in spiritual spaces. I think that there, what I'm getting at is I feel like there's a very heightened um, uh, sen sensitivity to spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma that I think is informing, that has informed the meta-modernist community from the get-go. 
and has made it very suspicious of those kinds of figures um, at the same time that it's still trying to carry forward much of the integral legacy. So uh, from, from that stance, you know, I think what you're raising around, around the issue of gurus is, is crucial and it's at the heart of how metamodern spirituality you know, uh, is, is trying to conduct itself and being aware of these sorts of things. Um, it, it is, as I say, a very broad topic and I have a lot of kind of thoughts about it that I don't think we have time for. I would generally agree with your take. I don't think that the guru figure is a viable dynamic in a meta-modern context, though I've talked to Lehman again about this and um, he has some interesting ideas about um, how, in fact, I believe he was working on a, uh, the idea of a book with Carter Phipps about the topic of a metamodern guru. What could that look like? Are there certain kinds of consent that could be set up going in so that it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he might be an interesting person to talk more to about all that. Um, for my own take, I'm, I remain very suspicious and uh, I've done maybe too much to try to just say, these people aren't welcome in this space at the same time that I recognize a lot of the intellectual, um, you know, contributions that, that that some of these folks have made, and uh, I'm I'm saying that in some ways uh, I'm I'm evolving a little bit on how I conceive of that. I used to think much more in terms of look, if you're going to be doing anything that you're calling spirituality, you have to have very strong, developed interpersonal skills. You have to be sensitive to people's emotional realities. You can't be an abusive person, right? And I, I, I still very much hold to that. Um, there's another element to the degree to which um, the spiritual as a category encompasses a lot of unknowns with sort of a catch-all category like subtle energy and transmissions and all these other things, right? And so there's also a way in which those things might be disconnected from interpersonal skills. For whatever reason, someone like an Andrew Cohen seems to have a great ability to transmit some energy to people and get them in a you know global hive mind state at the same time that he's completely apparently um you know woefully inadequate as an actual teach or as a as a leader of a community and as someone who is sensitive to people's uh you know uh subjective realities and social dynamics all that stuff right so that disconnect is something i think we need to pay attention to and 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 be sensitive about um so that might sound like a long-winded answer, but there's a lot to that. More to the crux of the matter, the, the meat of the matter, where is this happening where I see it? So yes, you brought up, uh, or I brought up, and we both talked about briefly, uh, Lehman and Bruce. Um, I think the work that Lehman is doing is just impeccable. I think both of them are incredibly brilliant with immense integrity. Um, and I love the stuff that they're doing. Uh, and so Lehman, uh, ha has been the, the person leading the metamodern spirituality retreats, um, or will be, I mean, he did the first one, as I said, we're doing another one in the fall. So, um, I think that he is a very capable, uh, trustworthy person. And I, I, I value his contributions to the sphere a lot. So I definitely echo, echo that hundred percent echo Dan Daniel Thorson, uh, such an earnest, uh, person who is so sensitive to all those social dynamics while also having deep principles. Um, so that cluster of folks, I think, are doing incredible work. I think the work that John Verveke is doing also mm -hmm. should be yeah. named in this space. Um, again, he seems very earnest with a lot of integrity um, and uh, and seems to be interested in, in, in exploring this. Um, so that those are 
you know, again, there's sort of the interpersonal dynamics about people that I think are crucial for, for having this work again. Um, but there are also people I think who are in this space who are providing great ideas, uh, but I can't speak to them at like a, a interpersonal level. I mean, Jamie wheel is one person who, mm -hmm. you know, his book recapture the rapture. I feel like names a lot of really meta modern Absolutely. spiritual ideas. Yeah. Oh, um, I think well, one of the, one of the phrases he uses, which I'd say would, is also another kind of characteristic i'd say of what i've noticed around meta modern spiritual spirituality is mm -hmm. uh, gnostic agnosticism mm. so it, it's a kind of you know ultimately every, you know i know that you know that i know that you know that we actually don't know what the what the hell is going <laughs> on yeah at all mm. Mm. um but um we know it's extremely significant um, mm. And something very important and powerful mm -hmm. is happening, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it's a kind of like, you know, yeah. normal, normal speak of, of that normal version. Yeah. No, I, I, I really feel like there are a lot of people, very capable, smart people inhabiting this space. Many of them I think of as, you know, they're my age, they're friends, they're, um, I think we've all got a, progress a bit before any one of us would be in, 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 you know, I, there, there's, a, you know, one of the things that's come up in some conversations is sort of the tribal uh, paradigm of like thinking about elders in these sorts of spaces too, many of whom are coming from the integral scene because that's an older scene um, and seeking sort of the wisdom of people who have been engaged in this space for a while at the same time that a younger generation is taking up uh, a lot of these ideas and rethinking them and, and re-engaging with them. Um, but say in Terry, the metamodern- Terry Patton, Terry Patton uh -huh. was an example. I mean, fortunately yeah. he died fairly recently, but I'd say he was an example of, a great example mm -hmm. of, of this. Yep. Yeah. And I just got to meet Tom Murray um, at the retreat and who's, who's also involved in the stages. Um, or sorry, I'm uh, mixing up Terry with, uh, but anyway, um, but, but there You're are a number of people- Terry O'Fallon. Sort of, I was thinking Terry O'Fallon, but I was mixing them up. But um, yeah, there are a number of people sort of from the integral scene, I think, who are who definitely hold that space in a really powerful way. But in the in the meta modern community, um, I, I, I in the Facebook group that you mentioned at the outset, I, I just see such a a really robust community. There's communitas there. There's like people. There are relationships that matter to people, and there are um, there's a real sense of this thing that we're doing. Um, and I definitely felt that in a very real way at the retreat. And that's something that we're trying to move forward uh, and make more regular. Um, so there's, you know, probably there's like 650 people in that group, but a, a good number of them, I, I would say, are, you know, really exploring this space in a very responsible and beautiful way. And so I'm excited to see what comes from that. Um, it, it's largely nascent, though, you know, it's, 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 the Facebook group, for example, has only been around for what, I think three years at this point. Um, a lot of what we're thinking about is meta-modern spirituality, quote unquote, is still emerging as a sense uh, of as something distinct. Um, and so I think things will be coming online in the next, you know, number of years. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, that's still largely evolving. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, yeah, I would also name uh, Greg Enriquez uh, has contributed a lot to the conceptual framework and some of this stuff. And he was at the retreat um, and just a, a good guy. Zach Stein is a huge um, 
figure, I think, in, in <coughs> articulating his metapsychology and that sort of a thing. Again, someone of, I think, of a lot of uh, principle, a principled person and, uh, you know, uh, very thoughtful. So anyway, I could go on and on listing some well, individuals. Yeah, but, I, I think know. I just want to say, you know, just as a footnote on that, that just in case anybody hears any of these names and runs off and says, right, well, these guys have vouched for them. I'm going to turn mm. them into a guru. Any one of these people could turn out to be a horrible person <laughs> you know mm. you just don't you don't know and i think that's one of the one of the kind of things mm. i'm trying to say is that you know people can seem great um and then suddenly you find out something you know about who they are a bit mm. later on and i think you should always keep that in mind you know mm. that you say well I, I i'm always going to hold something back from from this relationship with this person i can't go all in because you know even people that really really seem genuine mm. you might it might take you five years to find to to get to that layer of who they are that you know I, what I, mean? I think that there's a there's a challenge there I, I mean i totally hear what you're saying and i i think that there that's part of that tension is is uh how do we retain our critical scrutiny without that being the thing that keeps us from transcendence from intimacy from hope right so this is a real challenge um and i don't think there's an easy answer to that but there's a part of me that both nods 100 percent in agreement to the idea of kind of perpetual reserve of some kind there's also a part of me that wants to say well it's almost something i think particularly kind of meta-modern to know at the outset that some of these people or some of this community, whatever is going to turn out to be rotten. And yet you still commit a hundred percent. There's a kind of beauty to that kind of earnestness. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's I'm, a sense that I'm definitely yeah. not promoting safetyism here. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's another thing I come into with all this is, is um, as much as I would love to see all of this become what we would all love it to be, right? Which is something like a better society with better, deeper connections and a more profound spiritual connection. Uh, and and instead of, you know, um, really transformative spiritual practices and the deepening and developing of culture and character, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and consciousness, we'd love that. But um, we're also realists to some degree too, right? And I come into this whole scene with the awareness that, um, yeah, who knows, maybe in, in 10 years, metamodernism will have all of the baggage that other communities have seen emerge in, in these spaces. And it, in some ways, it almost would be silly to assume that it wouldn't, right? Uh, it's going to be, com so it's going to be compost at some point. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and, and if you build yeah. into your perspective, that awareness, yeah, I think that's very healthy, right? There's yeah. a, there's a sense that, um, it's dangerous when you make the absolute out of something that, uh, that, that you're living in. And rather than from the get-go appreciating that things have their times and their cycles. I mean, I come into all this also knowing that whatever we're calling metamodernism sounds exciting. It's cutting edge, you know, it's this and that, but it's like in, in 15 years, there's going to be the next thing. And then, and then, but that's how it works. And yeah. so that, one that, of the nice that, things about metamodernism. That's the recognition of the evolutionary element yeah, of this, which I'd say exactly. is another another hallmark characteristic mm. of this type I, yeah. of spiritual orientation. That that's baked yeah. in. It's out on the table. It's it's explicit. We all know. Yeah. You know that I know that you know that I know that they know that we know that she knows that he knows. And you know, 
Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. I, I tend to think about it in some ways as like, uh, it's sort of like in America, how, you know, the founders really conceived of government as being something uh, that, well, when it's not serving people, it should be, you know, uh, abolished and, and, and set up anew, right? It's a pretty, it's a radical idea. Um, of course, government then gets power. And when people have power, then systems become entrenched and there's inertia. And the idea of actually doing that fades, unfortunately. But uh, I think that that revolutionary insight needs to be always kept alive in a spiritual context so that nothing ever ossifies, uh, whether that's a community or the symbols and the ideas of a particular community, right? A particular God concept can't ossify otherwise these things become dead they're not life-giving and you need to go back to the source again in that kind of union way to to breathe through the archetypes again and keep things moving so i think that the it, it, in its best form it can be continually aware of these dynamics and build them in so that when the the time comes for things to keep moving it doesn't impede uh its own dissolution but uh actively encourages it and and then celebrates what whatever is genuinely next yeah and can sacrifice metamodernism can sacrifice itself you know mm. to something that will comes after you know to uh, in the in the the the, the truest word meaning of that word you know mm -hmm. it's, it's actually and, and, you know, a sacred activity to 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 give itself up yeah. at the right time you know it's like sure. giving, giving birth well um, Daniel Gortz, uh, another figure, I think, who, who has, uh, you know, a lot of insight uh, in this domain, for sure. I mean, by this domain, I mean, the spiritual in, uh, domain, not just metamodernism, of course, he has a lot of uh, insight there. Um, but, uh, but he talks about the headless God. Uh, and who is the headless God? This is the symbol of, you know, well, every time the God shows up, you know, gets his head cut off, and then three days later, he rises again, right? And this is, it's the perpetual uh, self-sacrifice or self-dissolution, uh, and that if you're if you're sort of following that God in a in a sense, you'll it, hypothetically it will never ossify because it's always it's like a snake that's always losing its skin and 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 being reborn, whatever metaphor you want to use. But the the headless God is the one that has the best chance of actually you know going forward into the future because its own uh, decapitation and uh, and rebirth are sort of. Uh, built in to the mix. So that to me, I think, is a beautiful connection as well to the traditional religious uh, systems of the past and the, the dying and rising God of, you know, the Christian idea of, of the death and, 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 uh, and uh, resurrection, etc. Um, but that it's not just the God as a figure that dies, it's God as a concept that's continually dying and being reborn and, and, uh, and evolving, um, which is um, what I think is an important myth, uh, a metamodern myth, um, and in my own work, uh, God or the God emerging uh, into bridged form is about that myth. It's about the fall of the old God and then the rebirth of the new one that has within it the seeds of its own dissolution and rebirth. Uh, on and on and on we go. <laughs> so a, th a theme that appears in many science fiction movies. You know? mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Thinking of things like the fountain, or um, yep, you know, a lot yep, of things that involve movie. androids and 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 those mm. kind of those kind of movies. Yeah. Well, um, so I think we we run out of time there. Um, you you got something to get on to, but I, I've really yeah more or less. This, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation yeah, very much. Been, so yeah, I mean, great, if man. you wanted to throw yeah. out one more question, I could probably make the time for it. But uh, uh, well, well, okay. Well, here's 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 um, here's the last question. Um, where can people find out more about um, 
your work. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a concrete one. Let's let's wrap it yeah. up with something easy. Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I get so I'm Brendan Graham Dempsey, and if you go to brendangrahamdempsey.com, a lot of all of my stuff uh can be found via that. Um, but um, I including my YouTube channel in which I have a metamodern spirituality podcast where I uh, talk to a lot of these folks. Um, that would be my stuff. Uh, the Metamodern Spirituality Facebook group exists, as we've been mentioning, and um, it's a private group, but uh, I generally, if I see that there are people that are sort of in the community, you know, like that, I, it's not, uh, so many, you know, everyone's welcome, so to speak, uh, as long as you're not a troll. <laughs> but um, so there's that, I would encourage people to check out. Um, I would also encourage people checking out the Integral Stage podcast, which is uh, Layman and Bruce's work. Um, I would encourage people to check out the Monastic Academy and uh, and the Emerge podcast that you mentioned, Daniel Thorson. Um, those are all great uh, things. Um, you know, check out the Hanzi books if you haven't uh, already done that and are familiar with that. But the Listening Society is is an excellent uh, work that can introduce the whole idea of metamodernism more broadly. Um, I think that that's a probably a good enough start. Uh, there's a lot out there, and and if anyone wants to contact me directly, I'm very happy to. To talk to folks. Um, I also want to throw out one last, just to cover my bases here, when we were talking about where, where we're seeing this and, and who the folks are, you know, um, there are literally too many people to name. I could go on and on and on, but that would create a very boring podcast. So um, I, I don't want to like kind of leave anyone out in that sense, because there are so many incredible people in this space that are really inspiring to me, uh, just at a, at a, at, at every level. And uh, so this is a really, it's a beautiful community of people. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, at, uh, at request, I'd be happy to, you know, name some more names to people who might be interested in the scene or to suggest more uh, resources and that sort of thing. But yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that's a really important point to make. And, and I concur with that. There, there's, there's loads and loads of people um and uh yeah you, we, as soon as you start naming people you're leaving certain people <laughs> out but i think it's mm. uh the value in just throwing out some names or some organizations mm -hmm. is that it gives people something uh you know mm -hmm. you, all you need is is the, the the next thing in your journey like the little it's the breadcrumbs yeah. it's the it's the line of breadcrumbs yeah. it's like you need some kind of lead to just get some mm -hmm. traction on this you know well and um, and two last thoughts real quick or two last suggestions would mm. be uh john Ravakey's awakening from the meaning crisis which i think you know the whole yeah. meaning crisis framing is really crucial for a lot of this and i think yeah. Ravakey is one of these hubs that's connecting a lot of folks you know rebel wisdom included and all these other ones um but also i mean ken wilber <laughs> you know oh, if yeah. you haven't read ken wilber's works uh sex ecology spirituality is amazing um and you know integral spirituality great there's just so many of his his works that are really informing this conversation in a huge way and i'd be remiss not to name those uh also bobby azarian uh is totally new to the scene he's a neuroscientist and a science uh uh, uh columnist basically he wrote a book recently called the romance of reality uh which i think is brilliant and i feel like is very has a lot of connections to uh, a metamodern spiritual sensibility uh so those are just a, a few other ones i wanted to throw in the mix that i feel like are forming part of this kind of emerging um network and scene and canon or whatever you want to call it right well i hope we've made a small contribution in in shaping this for for people um likewise and uh you know it's um 
talking to you has has helped shape it in my mind you know too so mm -hmm. it's you know it's this this i just i just love this dear logos as uh john vivaki says yes. you know yeah. it's great stuff yeah. well yeah enjoy your day brendan uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and, thank you uh, so much for this opportunity this was great yeah. i really enjoyed uh talking and uh yeah i appreciate the work that you're doing and uh so yeah thanks for this wonderful wonderful uh chat appreciate Cheers. it all right lots of love i'll be in touch all right adios i made all the music that i use in my podcasts if you'd like to hear more of my music please visit soundcloud and check out my profile ralph cree